This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Daniel Cognetti. Welcome back to another episode of the AOS Career Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Cognetti. As a physician and surgeon, your online reputation matters. Prospective patients will search for reviews on Google, Yelp, and HealthGrades and other platforms to see what patients are saying about you and the care you provide. Whether you're starting your career or an experienced surgeon like Dr. Franco, referral marketing is an important way to build your online reputation and maintaining an active role in this process can help you protect it. We're joined today by Dr. Oren Franco, an orthopedic hand surgeon out of East Bay Hand Medical Center in San Leandro, California. Welcome, Dr. Franco. Thank you. Let's just start off with online reputation management. Can you tell us exactly what this is? I know you've spoken on this topic before and you're an expert uh, around the country. I've heard your name on this topic before. So just tell us what online reputation is. I think it falls into a number of categories and it's hard to pinpoint exactly everything that online reputation entails, but there are a few things that it definitely includes. It includes online reviews. It includes your persona online via your website, maybe your hospital website, maybe even a private website that you've created outside of your practice. And the way that those all work together to give patients an impression of who you are and what kind of care they might expect to receive from you even before you've provided that care. And it's important to note that could be a patient who has never seen you before and is looking to make a new appointment, or it could be a patient who you have seen and might be recommending surgery and they're looking for reassurance before they finally undergo the knife with you that you're a trustworthy and good surgeon, whatever that means in their mind. Great. So you mentioned there's some different avenues for online reputation. What are some ways that you personally go about creating your own online reputation? When I first started in practice, I wasn't happy with the website that we had for my practice, my partner and I. So I made a new website. That was just my opinion. And to be perfectly honest, my opinion of the importance of a modern website have shifted a little bit over the past seven years that I've been in practice. I don't think websites need to be fancy. They don't need to have a lot of video or even personal testimonials from patients but they definitely need to have the basics and they need to be easily found and searchable online. That was the first thing I did. The second thing I did was really focus on online reviews, making sure that patients who are happy with their care are leaving you reviews on HealthGrades or Yelp or Google currently probably being the most important in nearly every market. And then at that point, once you have a good website and you have good reviews, you can start to branch out into things that are maybe less common and maybe less necessary. Things like social media. There are some doctors who have a presence on X, formerly Twitter, have a presence perhaps even on TikTok or Instagram, or have a presence on other online forums, ways to get the word out. Some even make YouTubes about various diseases. And I wouldn't say that's all necessary, but it all contributes to your online persona that patients will find. Sure. Those are some great insights. We actually had uh, Dr. Corey Callendine, who's TikTok famous, uh, as he would say, and uh, he's on a number of other social media platforms, come onto the podcast before. And so this will take us a little bit different perspective with your expertise and 
what you feel has really helped in your practice. Let's just start with online reviews. Can you just talk to us? Like, why are they so important? Let's just start with that. And then we'll get into how to actually go about collecting them. I think online reviews are the single most valuable tool that a young surgeon can leverage to grow their practice faster than they would otherwise. And let me expand on that. Since you mentioned TikTok and other social media, I'll explain it in the form of a comparison. Social media is great for a worldwide audience and even for a national audience. Even though I'm in the Bay Area, I can have a TikTok that's viewed just as easily by someone in New York or Florida. But practice is local. And 99% of my patients are going to come from within 20 miles of my practice. While it might be interesting and fun for me to have a TikTok channel that broadcasts to the world, it doesn't really change my practice. Online reviews are different. Google is obviously everything online when it comes to search. And patients Google their doctors every single day. As I alluded to just before, sometimes they're looking for a new doctor and sometimes they're looking for reassurance in the doctor they're already seeing. But Google is very specific to the individual. If you Google anything, sports doctor, and I Google sports doctor, we will get very different answers based on our history, based on our geography, and based on what Google thinks we're looking for. But one thing that's very consistent is that a sports doctor out there in the world, whether it's in your area or mine, that has more signals that suggest to Google that they're reliable and high quality and have good reviews, they're gonna come up higher on your list and my list. So the entire purpose of online reviews is to make yourself rise in the Google ranking search results for when patients, colleagues, or anyone else is searching for you or your specialty. And it's one of the easiest things we can do because we are really lucky as doctors and specifically as orthopedic surgeons, we touch many people every single day and every single year. And by and large, we leave an extraordinarily positive impression. And those patients are happy to leave you an online review. So if you're not collecting them or capitalizing on them, you're missing an opportunity. That's great. How do we actually go about collecting them though? Because I'm starting my practice. I've been in the San Antonio area. So some of the people know me and I get referrals that way, but how do I actually solicit these reviews from people? First thing I'll say is you don't even have to be in practice yet. You could have been doing it in residency. Now I'll admit right off the bat, it can be a little awkward and it might not be appropriate. Think about what might happen if your program director found out that you've been asking patients to leave you a review. It might not be the look you're going for, but you can certainly do it. Basically, most of the doctor review websites like Vitals, Healthgrades, MD.com will probably create a profile without your permission or knowledge so that patients can start leaving reviews for you. They do it based on NPI data. Now, somewhere along the way, Google, I think through NPI data or maybe through other signals, will also identify doctors and often make a practice profile for you. That's called a Google business profile. You've all seen it. When you go to Google and you type in a business name, it shows up on the right side of the search box. It's got their name, it's got their reviews, and it has that business information. Google does that for doctors too. 
Now, if they haven't already done that for you, you can create your own and it's free. You just go to business.google.com and that gives you a profile. It basically gives you a place to stand on the internet to collect reviews. The last one that's important is Yelp. And I think everyone's familiar with Yelp, but as a doctor, you can also create your own free Yelp account and then patients can leave your reviews. So once you have the platforms in place, you have to decide which ones are important to you. I'll save you a lot of effort and just tell you that I believe that Google is number one most important. I think Yelp is probably second in most markets, although there are many markets in the country where most doctors are not on Yelp or Yelp is not popular, in which case you can ignore it. And then third and fourth are probably health grades and vitals, but they're a far third and fourth. So your question of how to get reviews is really, how do you get Google reviews? And basically there are three ways. I call them passive, active, and automated. Passive means you do nothing. Maybe you mention it to a patient in passing and ask them, oh, leave me a review. Or if a patient says you did such a great job, you can say, oh yeah, write that on the internet somewhere. By and large, the response rate to that will be almost zero in the realm of 0.1 to 0.2%. Active is when a lot of people think about what can I do to get reviews is handing out review cards. Some people will print out a little business card with a QR code. In fact, HealthGrades even gives you a template for that business card and you can just print them and hand them out. The response rate for that is somewhere between one and 2%. It remains very low. The third option, which is by far the best is automated creating some system in your office or your EMR or using a third party that will automatically follow up with your patients at some regular interval, whether it's every week or month or three months, asking them what their experience was in your office. And response rates to that are closer to six to 8%. And again, for an orthopedic surgeon who sees on average a thousand patients a year, if you collected 60 to 80, five-star reviews every year, you'd be in the top 1% of doctors in regards to review collection. That's great to have that number because when we talk about reviews, I'm like, how many is enough? And I think about the ATT commercial, we want more because we really want more. But really, if you just have some, even 60, 80, you're doing pretty darn well. So it shouldn't be that hard to get to it, but you have to have these mechanisms in place like you're talking about. And some of those numbers that you're giving us are, are just fantastic for us to conceptualize this and how to actually do it. Let me get to one other thing. So I have one specific question with some of these sites. There's a lot of errors that I noted when I was a resident. You know, if you Google your own name, if you're looking for a publication, you notice that Dan Cognetti is a family medicine doctor on these websites. What do you do to rectify those situations? I'm sure you probably don't have a lot of situations like that anymore, but what did you do starting out when that happened? That's a great question. One of the first slides I have in all of the talks I give at the Academy and the Technology Theater about this is that you have to take ownership of your profiles. You, exactly what you identified is so true. When you pop out into practice, these websites have found your information all over the internet and a lot of it's inaccurate. Every single site I've mentioned, whether it's Google, HealthGrades, Yelp, Vitals, MD.com, they all will have a link somewhere on that page that says, is this you? Or claim this profile? Or do you own this business? And you click on that link and it will give you the option to register, of course. It's always free. 
And then you can update the information. You can put your headshot, you can put your office information, your CV, and take ownership of that profile so that the information is accurate. If you really want to get crazy, and there might be some listeners here who actually run their own practice website and are responsible for it. There's a company called Moz, M-O-Z, moz.com. And basically what they'll do is unify your information across the internet. I can't remember exactly how much it is. It's not prohibitive. I want to say something like $150 a year, ballpark. And basically you say, this is my practice, East Bay Hand Medical Center, and this is my address, and this is my phone number. And they will make sure that the hundreds of websites that reflect that information, you know, there are all these yellow pages and white pages and business referral websites, that all that information will be consistent and accurate across the web. And that's probably worth exploring as well. That's another great tip. I put myself in my patient's shoes sometimes, and I'm thinking, if someone doesn't have the correct information online, or let's say their website theoretically isn't updated, that looks really bad. And not only that, but if you have a post-op patient who's trying to get your phone number because they're having an issue and they can't get a hold of you for two weeks and you have the wrong information, they are going to be livid with you for not being able to reach out in the appropriate time. Another great tip. I want to talk a little bit about some negative reviews. Let's say theoretically you get a negative review, whether it's from complication or it's something maybe not even related to your care. It's related to your clinic staff being rude or long wait times, which I guess is partly you. But can you talk to us about how you handle negative reviews online? Absolutely. First, let me share just a little side comment about negative reviews. And this is especially going out for those young surgeons who just came out of training. Everybody gets negative reviews. Everybody gets more negative reviews than you desire or deserve. You're not alone. And I have actual real data that will also be published showing that this is totally normal. So don't stress about it. So the question is, how do you not let those negative reviews bother you? And there's a number of solutions. First, it hasn't come up yet, but it's worth mentioning that I actually have a company that helps collect five-star reviews for doctors. It's called Surge Survey. And the tagline is, the solution to pollution is dilution. It's a term we use in surgery, of course, when you're washing out an infection and it's no different with reviews. You are going to get negative reviews. I have one-star reviews. You probably do too. And if you don't, you will. But as I said before, we see a thousand patients a year and 990 of them are really happy with what we do. So the key is just making sure that all those happy patients are encouraged to leave you a five-star review. It doesn't bother me if I collect one or two negative reviews a year. On average, I probably get one every two years. But the reason it doesn't bother me is that because with my software, I know that I get about two five-star reviews a week on average. Even if I got a negative review today, by next week, it will be third on my list of reviews. And the week after that, it'll be fifth. And in about a month, it won't even show up on the list anymore. That's my answer to why or how you cannot let negative reviews bother you. Now, I also have an answer about how to respond to negative reviews. Do you want to hear that one too? Definitely. <laughs> what do you do when you get this negative review and you can't sleep at night? Let me go back to what I was saying. Everyone gets negative reviews. 
And you had alluded to the fact that maybe it's a patient who had a complication. Let me give you a little piece of information. It's never a patient who had a complication. <laughs> Patients who have complications are calling your office and you're managing them because you're a great surgeon. The negative reviews often frequently come from patients who actually were never even seen in your office. It's actually one of our number one complaints as a specialty, patients who couldn't get an appointment or whose insurance was not taken by the office or had some type of authorization delay. That's probably number one for negative reviews. And then number two would be, as you alluded to, delays, poor communication, the patient basically feeling like they weren't seen or heard or cared for. It all comes down to feelings, never actually what occurred. So what do you do? The first thing is, I believe you can reach out to the patient. Unless you already knew about the situation and you've already dealt with it the best you can, and then the patient still went online and left a negative review, I would say reach out to them or have a practice manager reach out and say, we're so sorry to hear that we fell short of your expectations. We'd really like to make this right. Please let us know what we can do. Bring them back for an appointment, get the authorization for the MRI, whatever it is that they're looking for. Now, the next part is really important. Every review platform that I've talked about so far, again, Google, Yelp, HealthGrades, they give you the option to respond to a review publicly. And I would encourage you to respond to the review publicly, but I want to make it very clear. The purpose of the online response is not directed at the patient. It's directed at the broader universe who will be reading that review and reading your response. So the purpose of your response is not to address the patient's specific complaint or concern and absolutely never to violate HIPAA by sharing details about that patient's specific circumstances. Rather, it's to demonstrate to the world and to your future patients that you're empathic, that you care, and that that patient's experience is not reflective of a typical experience in your office or of how you want patients to experience your office. That's all you're trying to say. So to give you a very specific example, when a patient says, I went to Dr. Franco's office and he was an absolute jerk. He refused to treat me. His staff was rude. And on the way out, he tripped me. Something that's absolutely ridiculous. All you have to say is we're so sorry to hear that your experience in our office fell short of your expectations. We certainly would never want a patient to have that experience in our office. And we invite you to call so we can help clarify or rectify any of your issues. And we look forward to helping you in the future. That's all you need to say. If you use the fell short thing, they may think you're throwing a pun at them there if they fell though. So you, got, you may have to be careful with that one. Okay, yeah, poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> no, really interesting though, that it's it's not the complications, it's it's other things that cause people to leave their reviews. And so you frequently know where people are coming from. A, a lot of great tips there. Let's transition over to website optimization, because I think there's a lot of early career surgeons, maybe not necessarily residents, but early career surgeons, fellows, thinking about creating a website, maybe reaching out to a company to design it. Tell us how you first got into your website and, and redesigning it and any tips that you might have. We could spend three podcasts talking about websites. And the first thing I want to acknowledge is that everyone has a different desire and skill set when it comes to creating a website. And the next thing I'll say is that there's no universal way to have your website or your practice website. 
The other important thing to recognize is that it gets easier and easier to create websites as time goes on. So it's really easy to create simple sites and it's really complicated to make complicated sites. And depending on your interest and skill set, you can be anywhere on the spectrum. Chances are when you join a practice, you're going to be online somewhere. Pretty much every practice and hospital will put your face and your CV either on their hospital site, which is a fairly kind of generic platform that you probably don't have much control over, or your practice site, maybe if you're in private practice, which is maybe more specific, a little fancier, and you might have a few options in terms of optimizing your page. The trend I've noticed is that a lot of graduating residents and fellows these days want to create their own website. It's really easy. It costs $12 to buy a domain meaning like a web address. Most people will choose their name and their degree, like Oren Franco, MD, Oren Franco, orthopedic surgeon. But I would say just stick with your name and your title. You can buy a domain for $12 a year and you can support it on a number of web hosting sites that will help you create basically a blank page where you can put your practice, your phone number, and your CV for less than $100 a year. Some of them might even be free if there are ads on there. So having a website is not that difficult. Now, if you wanna have a complicated website where you post videos, perhaps surgeries you're doing, you post research papers, you keep a blog, maybe you do some search engine optimization and you're really trying to promote yourself on YouTube or TikTok, like we were talking about, it becomes a little more involved, a little bit more complicated. And to be quite honest, there are entire fields of marketing, web design, and search engine optimization that are experts in how to do it well. And I don't think there's any orthopedic surgeon on the planet, not me or anyone else, who's going to do it as well as those other companies. And it's not that expensive. If you're starting practice and it's really important for you to have a great website, I would probably recommend you pay for it. I built my own and I'm the first to admit it's not the greatest website in the world, but it gets the job done. But I've never really gone as deep as I could have on the search engine optimization and making it perfect. Being in the Bay Area, I have a lot of friends who work in that field, who look at my site and think it's embarrassing, but it's okay because it still gets the job done. And at the end of the day, you could pay someone to do it for probably three to $5,000. I know that sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But for someone who's starting out in practice and who thinks that your website is going to grow your business and grow your practice, it's certainly a good investment. I don't think it's the first thing you have to do. I think it's reasonable to let practice go, see how things kind of progress, ask for online reviews, and then you can make that decision after a year or two. Again, some great tips about the website. It's interesting to know the kind of variations in cost that you're discussing there, anywhere from $12, say, if you want to keep it simple, to maybe a $3,000 or $5,000 investment. And that's what it is. It's an investment to bring referrals to your practice to grow your business. So I think for people, depending on their interests or maybe their level of tech savvy, they can go different routes. But I think one thing that you mentioned earlier that really rings home for me during this talk is you've got to make sure that the stuff is correct. It's up to date and it's professional. I think those are the biggest things. If you want to add in the, the bells and whistles, that's a separate sort of issue or um, thing that you can go into. One thing I think it's worth pointing out that we haven't addressed yet is I think we've all heard the statistic that something like 50% of orthopedic surgeons are going to change practices within 
three years or five years or whatever the current number is. The bottom line is that you shouldn't expect to be in the practice you start forever. And if you're depending on your hospital or your practice to create a website for you or to collect reviews for you, you don't have control and you don't have ownership. And if you do end up being in that 50% that switches practices, if you don't have ownership, you don't get to take that with you. So one important aspect of owning your own site and owning your own reviews is that if I decided to switch practices today, let's just say things didn't work out and I wanted to move five miles down the road, for me, it's nothing more than going onto my Google and Yelp accounts, changing my address, changing my phone number, and I'm still in practice and all of my reviews, they come with me. Same for my website. But when that's managed by your hospital or by your larger organization, when you leave that organization, you leave with nothing. And then you have to start from scratch. So if you had to choose between doing it on your own or not right out of training, I'd probably say it's worth doing it on your own as long as you have the interest and the minimal skill set to make it happen. I never thought about that. Now, are you in private practice yourself? Or are you hospital employee? What is your current role? I am in small private practice. I call it semi-solo private practice. I joined one partner and it's just the two of us. And then we brought on a third partner just a few months ago. Great. Yeah. Cause you mentioned earlier that you had one partner. So I was wondering, does your team have a group practice website and then you have an individual one? How would you recommend people do it in private practice? If let's say they're a smaller private practice. I think you could do it either way because my group is really a three person group. And because I make the group website, my group site is effectively my site. I can change anything I want. And if either of my partners want to make any changes, I can do that quickly. That being said, I did purchase OrenFrancoMD.com. There's nothing there right now. And in the future, that might change. But what I've observed, again, because I work with a lot of practices in the realm of online marketing, is there are many practices, maybe when you get to 8 to 10 or 15 or even 20 people, it's much harder to have your group website reflective of what you personally want on your website because you just don't have as much say or control over it and making changes can be very slow. In those circumstances, often surgeons will create their own website and pay what we're talking about, three to $5,000 to have their own domain, assuming their group allows it. But I'm actually surprised how often I'm seeing that trend. I think it's very popular. Great. I'm going to have to buy my own website domain name. It's like buying a burial plot. Hopefully I built on the website <laughs> domain before that, but we'll have both just in case. I want to get down to some specifics of the websites. You mentioned search optimization. How do you actually go about making sure that your website is coming up to the top of your Google searches or getting the hits that you wanted to? So the first thing I'll say is that no one really knows the Google algorithm. It's a trade secret. Obviously, we know things that contribute to it. Having keywords, having relevant content, having cross-links and backlinks. But the biggest thing is having people click on that website. The bigger your practice, the more popular you or your practice is, the more clicks you're going to get. Reviews are really important. Having a Google profile that's linked to your website and also has really good reviews is really important. If you just did that well, meaning having good content about you and your practice, making sure that you're getting lots of clicks because patients are being directed there, having good online reviews, 
on your Google profile and making sure that your Google profile links to your website. Honestly, you're probably 75 to 80% of the way there. Google will figure it all out. It'll realize where traffic is going and it will realize that your practice is a good, reliable practice and it will deliver that information to people searching for it online. Now that last 20% is when you get in the weeds. That's when you hire a marketing company. That has to do with social media posts. That has to do with meta tags. That has to do with really complicated stuff where companies will actually search for unique keywords that have a lot of search queries, but are not finding a lot of destinations and creating that destination with a blog post or a commentary on a case that will get picked up. I wouldn't waste your time with that. I would just stick to the basics. And if you shoot for that 75 or 80%, you'll be doing fine. Awesome. Great advice. Dr. Franco, we've hit on a number of things today. And I think I've personally gained a, a lot of insights for me early in practice. I think some things that I can take away and, and do immediately to grow my practice. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to add in about you know managing your online reputation or how to build that before we go. If you're listening to this podcast, then I think the take-home message is that it's not really that hard and it's not that complicated. You just need to have a very small amount of interest. And if you don't want to do it yourself, it's definitely worth it to find someone else who can do it for you for a very reasonable price. I think it would be a mistake to ignore your online presence, online reviews, and personal website. But it's also okay to recognize that maybe your organization is already doing it fairly well. And if you're pleased with what they're doing, you don't have to do anything different. And if you're not pleased, you can definitely make a difference with just a small amount of effort. If you want more information about online reviews, the benefits of online reviews and practice optimization, there's a lot of it on my company's website. That's surgysurvey.com, S-U-R-G-I-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com. And I'd be happy just to talk to people offline as well and give advice. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Franco. Like I mentioned, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. I feel like I've learned a ton. Physicians looking to learn more about practice management, online reputation, they can go on AOS.org. Dr. Franco mentioned a number of different resources that you can utilize to help build your online brand. And obviously we'll be out in Dr. Franco's neck of the woods in just a couple of months for the AOS annual meeting. So look forward to seeing everybody out there and learning more about practice management and online reputation at that point. Thanks, Dr. Franco. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other conversations on professional development, please visit aos.org backslash thebonebeat-career.